Good, very, very big morning. Good morning to you this morning. Um, have you all had a good week? Has it been a good week following on from Easter? Did you enjoy the service last week? It's wonderful to see this place filled up, and hopefully we'll see it soon filled up again as we gather together. I, I really enjoy when the church comes together like that. I don't enjoy us coming together just for the sake of coming together, but when we come together to lift up one name, the name of Jesus. Amen? So we're closing on this morning in our, uh, well, we're, we're getting to a close in our series, The Fruit of the Spirit. So this morning we're on to gentleness, and I hope that you're going to see something a little bit different in gentleness this morning. We're not going to talk too much about um, uh, soft bunny rabbits and things like that that are very gentle. Um, so we're going to look at a little bit different. And then we've got David Riddell coming next week, which I'm excited to hear what he has to say. I've heard so many good things from just about everybody that's had any connection with him. So I think that's going to be a blessing to, to us here. And then um, I'm excited to, to hear Trevor again, and he'll be speaking on the last fruit of the Spirit, self-control, after David comes. Um, but one of the things I just wanted to do even before we jumped into our message this morning was just kind of go back to that concept of what is fruit. Our fruit is the evidence of our relationship with Jesus. Our fruit is the evidence of our relationship with Jesus. My heart has been so heavy for probably the last 10 years for a world that hasn't experienced the love and the life-transforming power of Jesus. We're the ones that are supposed to be going out and showing that love to others. And we can't do that in and of our own strength but we can do that. We can do it by staying connected to him and in his strength. John 15, 5 says this. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we've been looking at each of the fruit of the Spirit, from love to joy to peace, and you can say, oh, this is a nice topic. What am I having for lunch? We're, you know, oh, that's great. We just, we, we filled up some space on a Sunday morning. But I hope that we can keep that in mind, that if we abide in him, then we're going to have a lot of fruit. Because we can't bring anything to, to fruition if we do it by ourselves. It's not our fruit. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's His way of doing things. It's His life. It's His thing that's speaking into us. We need His way and we need His life to be evident in our lives because if it's not there, we're going to have a world that's heard about the gospel, but they haven't experienced it. And unfortunately, too often in, Christian, in Christianity, we, we, we love the concepts, we love them, but do we really bring them to even home, or do we even really bring them to our workplace? Do we have a world that's experiencing the love of Jesus through us? That's why we're, well, that's why we're staying here in the fruit of the Spirit for a little while, because our fruit is the evidence of our relationship with Jesus. I just want to pray briefly. Father, I pray that you would, you would speak this morning, Jesus. I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing. Lord, I pray that it would be your heart that's transmitted, Father. Lord, I thank you that you do receive us so gently, Father, that we can, we can come before you, that you're not going to bruise the reed that is our heart, Father. Lord, we love you so much. I pray that you would just speak your life into this message. I pray that we would get excited about showing your love to other people. I pray that we would get excited, Father, about understanding more of who you are so that we can be your hands and feet here. Amen. So, I just, Tim, go ahead, throw up the next slide. 
I don't want you to be confused by this, this face, okay? This face can be very tricky. He's, he's cute, but this boy is a troublemaker. He even, he even says that he's a troublemaker. It's one of his words. He said, I'm a troublemaker. Um, so my little boy, Archer turned two in January, and, and as, as any father of a two-year-old could say, I need as much prayer as possible, um, and the more the better. But Archer has this thing where he always says, Archer's so funny. He thinks he's pretty funny. The problem is his little brother also thinks he's funny. He believes the press, and so he'll, he'll laugh, and anytime Archer does something mischievous or anything like that, Bennett will encourage him, and so Archer thinks he's even funnier than he was before. And he'll always tell us that he's a troublemaker, but he's an absolute jokester. I told him the other day, I said, Archer, I need to change your diaper. And he looked at me, and he ran to his little sofa, and he sat down on his little sofa as quickly as he could, and he said, no. And I said, what? He said, I'm relaxing. I said... And he'll tell me all the time these kinds of things. One thing that Archer loves to do is surprise attacks. So you can be sitting, you can be doing the dishes, you can be trying to change his little brother Bennett's diaper, you can be, you can be doing anything, and then he'll get you. So my brother was the recipient of one of these attacks recently. He was, uh, he was bending over to pick something up in the house, and as he went to go pick it up, Archer has, um, he has a little cricket bat. Well, not a little cricket bat, but he's got a cricket bat. And, he came, and it's, it's soft, but it's, I mean, it's not... It still can hurt. And he came up behind my brother as my brother was leaning over. And he, he gave him a whack that like would make any of our New Zealand batters proud. And my brother, he had a bruise, I think, from it and everything. Another, another, this past week again, he wanted to hug his little brother. And we always really encourage him hugging his brother and being nice and kind. Those things are things, those are good things, Archer. Now, it was a good idea up until the, about when his feet left the ground and as he, you know, was flying towards his little brother for more of a spear tackle rather than a hug. Um, another one of my favorites is what, what I've lovingly labeled the archer death squeeze. So this is when, if you're chasing him and running around and playing and you want to tickle him or you want to tackle him or anything, he's going to grab your flesh, any part of your flesh that he can get. He's going to grab it, and then he's going to twist it, and then he's going to pull it. And then he's going to repeat and get, his, and get more flesh and do the same thing. And uh, he, he, got, he got my brother's nose the other day, and, you know, he, he got a response then. It's pretty brutal. But I have to tell my two-year-old to be gentle many times every day. I have to tell him all the time, actually. He probably knows that word better than anything else. But specifically where I have to tell him to be gentle is with his mom and with his baby brother. And the reason I have to tell him to be gentle is because he's, he's pretty wild. I've given you some stories, and he just enjoys that kind of a thing. He's probably just like most typical boys in that regard. But there would be no need to talk to him about gentleness if he was just meek and mild and calm. Weakness is not in need of gentleness. Strength is in need of gentleness. So that brings up our first major point this morning. Gentleness is strength under control. Gentleness is strength under control. For me, that was a really uh, transforming way of thinking about gentleness. I'd never thought about gentleness in a sense of strength being under control. I I thought it was, I probably equated it with being something like weak or you have to be mild-mannered, you know, like the, the Clark Kent of the Superman duo, you had to be the Clark Kent, right? That's what gentleness was. But gentleness is strength under control. And no matter where I looked... This definition was in every single outworking of gentleness. If it was in the original Greek in the Bible, if it was in devotionals, if it was anywhere, it was this theme that gentleness is strength under control. So Archer needs the fruit of gentleness 
not because he's weak, but it's actually the opposite. He needs the fruit of gentleness because he's strong. His cricket back attacks, his, um, his spear tackles and the archer death squeeze, they all have strength in them, and that brings about the, the need for gentleness. Now, Archer doesn't need to lose his strength. I wouldn't, want him to, I wouldn't want him to lose his strength anyways, but there's a place and a time for everything. My brother deserves a good cricket bat to the back sometimes. He might become a death squeeze champion one day, right? What if he, could, what if he becomes a world-class cricketer? Now, I would choose basketball, but I, I mean, hey, we're in New Zealand, so it's fine. What if he becomes a rugby league champion with his tackling? I, hopefully not on baby boys, but, you know, just he can get there eventually. But the important thing is I hope that he grows stronger and stronger. So strength, the most important thing about strength is how it's managed. So you want to maximize strength and not waste any of it. So what he does need is a huge dose of gentleness, which is just another way of saying, saying we want to bring his strength under control. Now, I just want to take a quick moment here. We're not all going to be Arnold Schwarzeneggers and and have this brute strength like my little crazy two-year-old. But each, each, each one of us, and I can't stress this enough, has strength and has power in some form or fashion. If it's your role as a parent, of a friend, of a grandparent, of a daughter, of a son, um, of a coworker, when dealing with people in any kind of capacity, the way that you interact with them and what you have to contribute is really significant and powerful. We all, know, we all know the scripture. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. If we can do all things through Christ, that means we all have some serious strength in Christ as well. Strength is to be used for someone else. That's the whole point of the fruit of the Spirit. This isn't just things that we can have that we can say, I love today, Jesse. You give yourself a high five. Strength and love and joy and peace, all the fruits of the Spirit are for the benefit of someone else, are so that this world can experience the love and the life-transforming power of Jesus. Gentleness is strength under control. And now, I would think that hopefully that challenges a lot of preconceived ideas you might have had of gentleness. It did for me anyways. But one thought that I had was someone who doesn't value gentleness in their life might not have a very good estimation of how strong they really are. Gentleness isn't asking for somebody to be weak. It's actually easy to try and exert yourself over someone else with your opinion or with the things that you think. But it's much more powerful to have that strength managed under control. And not just under your control, but under God's control. Um, a better translation for the word... Um, for the word gentleness is, is meekness in the Bible. And if you go to the original, original Greek of what it means, I want to read this out. But first, just put up the next slide for me, Tim. The word used to describe meekness is, one, is this. It's one that is regularly used of animals which have been tamed and which have learned to accept discipline and control. A horse obedient to the reins is meekness. So gentleness isn't weakness. It's actually much closer to a wild stallion that's been tamed. Gentleness is strength harnessed to be effective. I think maybe the most effective example that we could ever look at of this theme of gentleness is strength under control or, or what, what this looks like is what we've just celebrated last week. We all took time aside and we went to come and celebrate Easter and honor, and honor Jesus what he did. But when Christ went to the cross, when he laid down his life at Calvary, he who was strongest chose to remain under control 
and maybe the greatest act of gentleness that we've ever seen. He knew what was coming, and he still didn't exercise his strength. It even says this in Jeremiah eleven nineteen, spoken of Jesus. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. One of the reasons that you and I can walk in the freedom that we're so freely given is because Jesus was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. If a mustard seed of faith in him can move mountains, if by his very word he spoke the entire earth into existence, if a fraction of his strength that he lent to Samson, if he would have called down his angels, if he would have come down in chariots of fire, we would not have the cross where he laid down his life willingly. There's probably not another example in the entire course of history that shows this theme of gentleness as being strength under control. And it's, it's in Jesus' response. It's in the way that he responded that we're absolutely amazed. I can guarantee you that if I had even a fraction of the things happen to me that happened to Jesus, my response would have been very, very different. So let, let's just briefly look at the practical outworkings of what gentleness actually looks like in relationships. So this brings us to our second major point, that gentleness is all in the approach. Gentleness is all in the approach. It's, again, we, you kind of go back to the theme of gentleness, at least our preconceived ideas, and, well, here we go again. Here's another, uh, another topic about love and meek and mild and gentle. It's not ch- this is not saying you need to change who you are or you need to develop into a different person, but it's in the way that you approach something. Gentleness is all in the approach. This isn't talking about avoiding hard circumstances or tough situations, but it's much more about how you address those things. Proverbs 15.4 says it this way. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. This tells us two things. If you engage in relationship, you have two options of whatever you're doing. On one hand, you have building life, and on the other hand, you can break somebody's spirit. In any interaction, a gentle tongue brings life, and perverseness is going to break the spirit. And uh, who's experienced conflict at some point in their life? Who's experienced conflict this morning in their life? You know, in the car ride on the way to church, I think, is where conflict happens. That's why I leave before the kids, you know, I, I get here to avoid all the conflict. And conflict just simply means this. You disagree with somebody about the way that something should be done or, or something. So we have conflict every single day, right? Um, sometimes you have huge conflict. It might be you, you disagree complete with, completely with somebody on um, where you want to move, your, your wife. If you want to move to a different country like New Zealand from America, you know. Um, I mean, that's a big decision that we have to be in one accord to make that decision. You can have small decisions like where are you going to go eat for lunch? You know, that can also bring a lot of, bit of, a lot of conflict about. Um, conflict is just simply disagreeing with somebody over something. Now, in every single opportunity, every, every time conflict arises, every time relationship happens, we have this choice. We can build life into something, or we can start breaking the other person's spirit, and that will usually end up in our spirit being broken as well. And the way that Proverbs says you can build life is a gentle tongue. So it's that gentle tongue. Um, I used to, you all know I used to work for a car insurance company, and uh, there was a, there's a lot of conflict when there's car accidents. I don't know why. Maybe, maybe a car accident isn't the best way to start any kind of relationship. Um, but 
there was extreme conflict in these kinds of situations. And to make matters worse, the level that I trained, it, it was always like the, the employees, the, my folks, they always had to deal with the difficult circumstances. So there was never like a cut and dry one. They were, they were handled at the, at the first level. When, when my folks got the claim, somebody was fighting about who was responsible. No, they ran the red light. No, they ran the light. Somebody was trying to do fraud somewhere. Um, somebody hadn't paid their bills. So we, we got those kinds of accidents. And I just want to give you an example of how much conflict we sometimes deal with, okay? So there was a claim that we had where the, the um, uncle lent his nephew his Maserati. You familiar with the Maserati? It, its base model starts above $100,000. Now, I know there's some people here. I, I think of Keith. He values his car. But this is, this is a car that is, like, very expensive. So the uncle went wrong first to lend it to his nephew. His nephew and his friends were drinking, and his, uh, his nephew lent his friend the car, and they were driving, and they were in an airport hangar, and they were, they were going around and around and doing some pretty significant skids, as you can imagine, that only a Maserati could possibly generate the force to do so. And imagine this, he lost control, and so he was skidding, and I've seen the pictures of it, and he skidded, he's probably from there to, to there, from wall to wall, and he crashed into one of the airport hangars. And he didn't just choose any airport hangar, he crashed into an airport hangar where there was a World War II Japanese aircraft in there, and he not only totaled his car, which was 150000 but he also totaled this invaluable Japanese World War II aircraft. And when they started looking for parts for this, they couldn't find the parts because there was no parts to replace, you know, any of these things. I can tell you there was some serious conflict between the nephew and the uncle. And then, you put, and, and then you put the plane owner in there. He had a little bit of conflict. And then you put our, our employee trying to help resolve all this conflict. That's the level of conflict that they had to deal with. Our second, point, our second point was what? That gentleness is all in the approach. One of the major things that we taught our folks was insurance one, but it was also in the way that you approach the people that you're dealing with, knowing that we're dealing with some serious conflict. And what we taught them in that regard of how to approach people, it applies to us today as well. And it actually comes straight out of James 1.19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to anger, and slow to speak. We stress the importance of listening first, then listen again, and then share what you have to say. This general approach brought so much life, even with dealing the, the level of conflict with Mr. Maserati owner and Mr. Uncle and Mr. Nephew and the plane owner. If someone feels valued and that you've actually taken the time to listen to them, they're going to be much more likely to work with you. Now, on the other hand, it was so easy to see, especially in the training environment, if we had a claim that came up like our, our Maserati accident and, and our person wasn't listening first, then listening again, and then getting, just wanting to talk over the other person, I can tell you the escalation was quick. They usually wanted a supervisor pretty quick, and they just wanted to shout over one another. You could see the breaking of the spirit that it talks about in Proverbs when this wasn't applied. What about when dealing with our spouse or with your kids? Can I encourage you this morning to adopt this principle of gentleness? Be quick to listen first. Be slow to speak and slow to anger. And the second, the second kind of major thing in regards to our approach, a general approach comes with the security of knowing who you are, who you are in Christ. Gentleness or a gentle person doesn't demand to be heard because they're confident in the strength that they have. Romans 8.37 says this, Know in all things that we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors. That's a powerful word. Through him who loved us. 
For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. What is, God, what, what is the point being made there? We're loved a lot. We're secure a lot in that love of Jesus. I would always talk to our employees. I would always tell them, you don't have to have a negative reaction or a negative response to these people that are in these situations of conflict, even if they're directing it at you. If you're confident in knowing who you are and the authority and the strength that's been given to you. We, we were paid to make decisions. We were the employees. We were the ones specifically given all the instructions to remain in, um, in that role. They had the authority. They had all of the information. And they didn't have to get into a power struggle if they were confident in who they were and what their role was. And it's the same thing for us in our relationship, in any kind of relationship. If, you're, if we are secure in who we are in Christ... And in his strength, we don't need to respond defensively or with aggression or with manipulation. But we can hear the other person out and then share our side of the story in love. I like this thought that I'd read in a devotional. Gentleness isn't about avoiding the truth, but it's rather speaking the truth in a way that it can be heard. Proverbs 15.4 says this, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Gentleness is all in the approach. One approach, you can build life. The other approach, you break the spirit. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak and slow to anger. And this comes through our identity being in the foundation of who Jesus is and his strength. So this brings us to our last major point. His gentleness bears our burdens. His gentleness bears our burdens. How many people hit the gym this week? You can be honest. My brother did. So my, my, well, it's funny that my brother said that because he, he's pretty intense about that. He does the diets. He does the, you know, supplements. He does the steroids. No, he doesn't do the steroids. <laughs> he, 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 does, he, he does all the things around it, right? That's, he, he's about the gym life. And there's a lot of people that are. Who, who at least went for a run? Linda can't not raise her hand, right? Um, who, who went for a bike ride? You, you'd get in some exercise. Bruce went for a bike ride. I have, I have to say, I got my, half, my, my workout for the month in this week. I helped Bruce and Ron lift, lift a couple of heavy things one day this week. So I checked off Jesse's workout for the month. But I, I've never really enjoyed working out. And uh, one of the reasons is, any, I don't like to, I, I enjoy playing sports. I uh, have a great time, go play basketball. But I, I never enjoy trying to go to the gym, just work out by myself. It's just not fun. I want to go with someone else. So usually the person I want to go with has, is really experienced at working out, and they're, like, doing all sorts of crazy things. And me and my, my competitive nature, I just can't not let them do what they're doing, and I'm going to try and stay up with them, and they're encouraging me to stay up with them. It was so bad one time. I think I was about 17 or 18, and I went to the gym. And, uh, and my friends were doing their things, and they were doing some pretty intense workouts, and I kept up with them. I did every single thing that they did. The problem was my arms didn't move from this position for about two weeks. I mean, I'm... <laughs> I didn't go to the doctor, but I mean, they're, they're still probably a little bit injured even right now. But I, I kept pressing well beyond when I should have stopped. But all of us have found something that's too heavy for us physically at some point. In the same way, there's things that are too heavy for us emotionally and spiritually. You know, we, we hear the expression, there's a weight on your shoulders, but that's very true. Sometimes there's something that we come across that's spiritually too heavy to move, that's emotionally too heavy to move, that we can't do in our own, in our own strength. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know how many of you have traveled across the world before or even done a jump over to Australia, but my family and I recently moved here and we had little ones in tow. And I can guarantee you, after you're, you're paying extra baggage fees and carrying around 10 different bags and little ones here and little ones there, and, you know, we, we even got stopped in, I think, every airport and they needed to search every single piece of item that we ever even carried. And so it was just one of those kind of trips over here. And uh, I can tell you, the end of the trip was a beautiful thing. When you get to let down all your bags, where you get to throw them off, you get to, um, you know, take off your clothes, jump in the shower, you put on some fresh clothes, you put your kids down, you give them a sleeping pill. No, don't give them a sleeping pill. But, you know, you, you want to, you get to the end of the trip and you finally get a rest, right? You finally get a relax, you finally get a chill. But how many times do we travel month after month and year after year with baggage that we don't need to lug around on ourselves. Jesus says this, come to me, you who are tired and full of baggage and weighed down with the troubles of life. He says to put on his yoke. And what is his yoke? He's saying that he wants to start helping you carry those things. Carrying those things that you've been struggling to carry. This morning, is there something that you want to lay down? Is there a burden that you want some help with? Jesus invites us that if we're carrying something heavy to take his yoke because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I was thinking, you know, to, to, give, something, to give somebody something, you kind of have to trust them. And that's why, that's why he emphasizes his gentleness here. He's saying we can take his yoke because he's gentle and he's lowly of heart. He doesn't, he's not going to receive us harshly. He's not going to receive us with a rebuke but with a gentle heart. There's not fear when we come before him and we bring our baggage, but we receive a gentle and a humble heart. He is worthy of our trust. I had a pastor one time that shared um, the, the journey of accepting God into your life is also like inviting somebody into your house, like kind of a stranger, an acquaintance as you're getting to know somebody. So he equated the living room was kind of like the beginning stages of your relationship with Jesus. So if you invite somebody new over to your house, you're probably going to tidy up a little bit. You're going to kind of move the things in your living room that, well, in my house, you know, littered with um, kids' toys. We try and shove them all into another room and close the curtains and welcome, welcome. Um, Your living room has the best things. You might even put away some of your awkward family photos in the living room. You want to make a good impression and you you kind of do those things. Your living room is where you can serve them tea and you invite them into, but they, they don't get to see all of you, right? As you get to know somebody a little bit more, they might tend to see more of your house. They come over and have some meals with you. They see your dining room. They'll go in. They might even see your office as you're showing them something on the computer. They might see more family awkward photos just in those different rooms because you don't have time to put them away. They might see a little bit. It's a little bit not as tidy as it was probably. But one of the things that God is interested in is not in the living room and not in there, but he's interested in the inner room. What's the, the bedroom is usually the, the, probably the more intimate room of the house where you just kind of keep your, your treasure belongings and that's your space. I wish my bedroom had a, a lock on the door so I could lock the kids out and pretend to take a nap sometimes, but it doesn't. But 
the bedroom is that place that it's just kind of like your space where you try and sleep, and, and that's where you might have some of your, your treasured items. It's also where you can take some of the things that were in the living room when you're going to invite somebody in, and you might shove them under the bed or shove them in the closet because they're out of, out of sight, out of mind. And, and even if you have a spotless house, it's not necessarily to talk about that. The point is this. God is really interested in getting to the things that, we might, that might hurt really bad, that we kind of keep in the most intimate place. He wants to come into the inner room. He wants to take those burdens upon himself from a heart of gentleness. And he's not going to come in and he's not going to rip those things that we don't like to show everybody that we sometimes even will keep from God, the baggage that is the heaviest and the hardest, we sometimes keep carrying around and we don't let him bear our burdens because sometimes it's too painful. But I want to encourage you today that it's, it's not going to be too painful because he's going to receive you with a gentle heart. He's not going to rip the Band-Aid off. He's not going to punch you where, the, where the, um, the stitches are. He wants to receive you with a gentle heart. And as God is gentle to us, we need to show gentleness and grace to others when they're heavy laden. Just as, you know, we talked about in love, we can love because he first loved us. We can be gentle because he first was gentle with us. And this is where there's power found in the bride of Christ. What we talked about earlier, our, what are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our fruit is the evidence of our relationship with Jesus. Once we start adopting these, we then will start to see the love and the life-transforming power of Jesus shared in a meaningful way with those around us. We're to be the ones that, that show that love to others. And again, I want to emphasize, we can't do this by just trying harder, but by abiding in him, by staying in him, by staying connected to him, we can do it. By letting him into our inner room and taking our heavy burdens as we take up his yoke. We have a God who will show us grace, who will not tempt us beyond what we can bear, who will not give us more than we can handle. And he is a God who, well under his strength, we can do all things. I'd just like to invite the worship team back up to sing one more song as we're starting to bring this to a close. We need to embrace gentleness. And possibly a way you might not have before. Gentleness is strength under control. Gentleness isn't for the weak, but it's much more for the strong. It's all in the approach. It's not avoiding real issues. It's not avoiding tough interactions, but it's much more how you approach them. This is being quick to listen. It's well being slow to speak, slow to anger. It's being reliant on our security and our identity in Jesus. We don't have to be defensive because his gentleness bears our burdens. You don't have to try and tough it out on your own either. As we trust God, as you let him into your inner room, let him carry those things that we hold on to sometimes way too dearly because he wants to take our burdens from a gentle place for those that are weary. Isaiah 40.10 says this, Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. 
He's mighty. He's a tower of refuge. He's stronger than any of us could ever be. But he also is gentle, and he receives us in a gentle way. He gathers us in, his, in our arms. And sometimes that's not necessarily, it's not about what we deserve to a certain degree, but he's gentle with us. I hope you can remember that he who was strongest chose to lay down his life in the greatest act of gentleness that we've ever seen. And he did it so that you and I who are carrying heavy burdens, he could take them and he could bear our burdens from a heart of gentleness. And I'd just like to open up this time. We're going to sing one last time. But the elders and the home group leaders, whoever would like to pray, I'd like to open up the altar that if you have some burdens that you've been bearing, that you you want some time to just come and lay them down at the altar, Please come. Don't miss an opportunity to come and lay down those burdens. Uh, so I invite the, the elders up and the, and the worship team up, and we'll be here if, if you want prayer. If you don't, that's okay as well. But sing with us as we sing this last song. And I invite you, is there a burden that you're carrying that you want to lay down at the altar? Bless you.